There is neither Democrat or Republican. There is neither Baptist or Pentecostal. There is neither rich nor poor. There is neither male nor female. There is neither governor nor street sweeper. There is neither slave nor free. For you're all saved, and if you're all saved, you're all Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Welcome to the High Point of the Week. My name is Zach Hilligas. This is going to be the first week of our Christmas series entitled Scandalous. This week, Pastor Jack is going to be speaking from Matthew chapter 1. He's going to be reading from verses 1 to 17. However, he's going to be spending most of his time just with the first verse of that chapter. The first verse of Matthew reads, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now I'm leaving you in the very capable hands of Pastor Jack, and I'll catch up with you after the sermon. If you're in Matthew chapter 1, I want to start at verse 1 this morning. If you didn't happen to bring your Bible with you, these are, most of these references will be on the screen behind me as we work our way through this passage this morning. But uh, it's a very interesting and compelling heading, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now this genealogy goes on for 16 verses and then wraps up in verse 17. Thus there are 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. I was tempted to read these 17 verses until I realized I can only pronounce about 40% of the names that are in these genealogies. So, um, but... It's Jesus' family tree, and, um, and trees are a big part of the Christmas season. We put ours up this weekend, decorated it, um, but I'm not talking about Christmas trees. I really am thinking about family trees, and um, it's, a big, it's become a bigger deal over the last couple of decades, especially around the holiday season. Ancestry, 23andMe, companies like this saw $3 billion in profits in the year 2019, and genealogy services are projected to grow by 11% annually over the next five years. People are very interested in learning about their roots, their family, their heritage and background. People want to learn where they came from and who they came from. And I really think what motivates us when we get involved in this is that we all have this fantasy that we're descended from some noble king or some great warrior of the past. And I really hope I'll discover I'm connected to Steve Jobs somehow and I'm owed a bite of the apple um, some way. But uh, several years ago, actually, before it was in vogue, a member on my mother's side of the family actually paid to have a genealogy study done of her family. And we found out that we had a family member named Simon Gertie, who was one of the most notorious traitors of the American Revolution, a great turncoat for the cause. And uh, it, it was so bad, so embarrassing, that the Gerties shortened their name to Gert. So all of my mother's side of the family are Gerts because they were embarrassed that our most famous relative was a traitor during the revolution. After we found that skeleton in mom's closet, we decided there's no way we're going to start digging around in my dad's closet. It was bad enough what we could see. We didn't know, need to know about the de dead nuts and fruits out there. But I will tell you that every family tree has some nuts and fruits hanging on it. Can I get an amen? 
In fact, if, if you all would admit that you've got nuts and fruits hanging on your family tree, just raise your hand. Some of you are saying, I can't raise it. They came to church with me today, but everybody's got a few weirdos in their family. So why are we starting off Advent with 42 generations of the genealogy of Jesus? Why does Matthew start his gospel, the introduction of the Messiah, 42 generations, 17 verses of genealogy? Honestly, now, again, I know we're in church. You can't lie, though. Most of you skip this part when you're reading Matthew, don't you? I do, most of the time. Who wants to read 17 verses of names you can't, you can't even pronounce and 17 or verses and 42 generations of genealogy? And worse than that, who wants to hear a sermon about it? Today is your lucky day. <laughs> now, let me explain. We're starting a new series this morning called uh, Scandalous. This is our series for Christmas. And I know that's an odd title for a Christmas series because the word doesn't seem to fit the season. When we greet people, we use the word Merry, Merry Christmas, or, or sometimes we'll say have a ha- happy holiday. But you never read a card that says, here's praying that your Christmas is full of controversy. You never have someone say, have yourself a scandalous little Christmas. But I will tell you folks that these events that we celebrate during the Advent season, these events that, we, that make up the, the holiday we call Christmas were not nice events. And I hate to knock the shine off your season, but I have to say it. Actually, Advent was scandalous. The things that happened in the first Christmas were full of scandalous detail. This genealogy shows the scandals that surrounded the coming of Christ began before he was ever born. For instance, if you ever do take the time to read through these verses, you'll find out that there are five Gentiles listed in Jesus' genealogy. Gentiles. How did Gentiles get into the Messiah's genealogical line? And on worse than that, there are five women listed. Now, we all know women have to play a part in the process, but we never give them credit. And there are five women in this patri- patriarchal society. Matthew takes the time specifically to list the name of five women. And it gets worse. It's the kind of women that he mentions. Verse 3 mentions Tamar was one of them. Do you know how Tamar got involved? She seduced her father-in-law and had an incestuous relationship, and that's in the genealogical line of Jesus. In verse 5, Rahab is mentioned as the mother of Boaz. Y'all know what Rahab did for a living. She was a hooker. I'm sorry, she was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute, and she's in the genealogical line of Jesus. And then in verse 6, if you, if you read this, Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon. It would be okay if we could stop right there. David is the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Wait a minute, something's not adding up. David was Solomon's father, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You all remember this story, don't you? David had an adulterous affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and then had his, one of his good friends murdered to cover it up. And that's in the genealogical line of our Savior. And add to that things we don't have time to talk about, like a lot of these kings that were mentioned were corrupt kings and pagan worshipers. Come on, Matthew. You want to say, edit the resume, man. Let's clean this up a little bit. This is not how you're supposed to present the family tree of the Messiah who's coming to save the world. But the fact is, folks, that almost every part of Jesus' birth and ministry and life was full of scandal and full of controversy. And it ended on a cross 
which was the most scandalous way that you could be put to death. In fact, Paul calls the cross a stumbling block and an offense. The word from the Greek is literally scandalous. The story of Jesus, if we ever really understand it, if we ever take it out of, get it away from the needy uh, uh, box nativity scene that we all observe every week, if we ever really look at the story, we understand this offends our sensibilities. Jesus' message offends our sophistication and his cross offends our self-righteousness. And understanding why it offends us so much may help us push past all of the pretense and get to the heart of the season and of our real need for Christmas. And I'm not going to read through every line of this again because I don't think I'm capable, but instead I'm just going to focus on verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Starting from there, I want to show you why I think this genealogy is so important. Because first of all, it shows us, and Christmas shows us, God is in charge of all human history. This is, the, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Matthew is about to launch into a recitation of 42 generations, but right off the top, he summarizes. This is the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the Reader's Digest version of Jesus' line. But Matthew isn't trying to save you reading. He's doing something important. The key is the son of David are the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, this is a radical claim Matthew's making right off the top. He's not even going to try and warm you up or let you get used to the idea. He is claiming Jesus is your Messiah. The one that you've been waiting for all of these centuries has finally come. And then he cuts right to the two strongest pieces of evidence he can get to to prove his point. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. Because every Jewish person knew that the Messiah had to be a son of Abraham and a son of David. They'd been taught this from the moment they were born. Those names are critical. And they're critical not just to them, but they're critical to us for slightly different reasons. Taking them in reverse order. Here's what I think you should carry away. First of all, they reveal Jesus is a real Savior. He's a real Savior. Now, fairy tales begin with words like this, once upon a time, or long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. You all know that's not real, right? You Star Wars geeks have figured out that's not real, right? Long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away means what I'm about to tell you is made up. There may be some truth that I'm trying to communicate to you. There may be a moral, but this is just a story that I'm telling you. Matthew starts out this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, which means what I'm about to tell you really happened. This happened in the real world. A real Savior born into the real world. It's a real story about real life and about a real Savior. Folks, Christianity is about Jesus. It's about his real life, his real death, his real resurrection. That is what Christmas is all about. That is Christianity. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Jack, we get it. You might want to just calm down a little bit. But here's why I think this is important and the reason I get worked up about it. Often during this season, you're going to hear the phrase, the spirit of Christmas. 
We need to get into the spirit of the season. We need to, I, I need to get some Christmas spirit. And most of the time, what people are talking about is some emotional state, some feeling that they could get. And we talk about the spirit of Christmas, and we mean nebulous ideas like peace and, and love and generosity and kindness. A lot of you are going to go to candlelight services, where unity services, where they talk about that. And then some speaker will get up and, and, and implore us. Now, all of you folks, this has been a wonderful evening. Now, let's just go out there, and let's make it Christmas every every day. Let's just go out and live the Christmas spirit. If, if we could all just be kind and generous all year round, then it would be Christmas every day, and the, the spirit of Christmas would rule our world. Then there would be peace on earth and some other sentimental slop like that. And then y'all blow your candles out, rush to beat everyone out of the parking lot so you can get the last crock pot that's on sale, and, and flipping people off and cussing them before you get out of the parking lot. And you know you shouldn't behave like that. You know it. You get home, you turn on Bing Crosby, you feel bad. You know you shouldn't have driven like you drove. You know you shouldn't have flipped that guy the bird. You were just at the Christmas unity service. We know we're supposed to be more loving and more patient and more generous and more forgiving and humble. And by the way, folks knew this a long time before Jesus ever showed up. Before Jesus was ever born, people knew how they were supposed to behave. Moses told the Hebrews how to live before Jesus came along. And Jesus didn't change Moses' message. You remember when the Pharisees one time questioned him and said, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? Good teacher, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, folks... That's nothing new. That's in the Old Testament. It had been around forever. Jesus was not telling the Pharisees or the Jews anything they hadn't heard before. Remember when the man ran up to Jesus, the rich young ruler, and fell on his knees before Christ and said, good teacher, again, there's the phrase, teacher, tell me what I have to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no, only one that's good. You know the commands. Love the Lord, don't honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, all of these things. He just starts listening. You guys know where he got those? It's in the book of Exodus. Jesus doesn't tell this guy anything that he hadn't heard before. In fact, it's the way he started out. You know the commandments. Well, of course he did. Yeah, Lord, we know them. Of course we know the commandments. We've been memorizing them. In fact, love God, love people is on our high point t-shirts. We know what the law says. It's our Facebook hashtag for crying out loud. We know. And I'm just going to tell you this, folks. Jesus didn't teach people anything they didn't already know. He didn't teach us anything that we didn't already know. And I want you to remember this. Whenever you bump into one of these really sophisticated red-letter Christians, you guys know the ones I'm talking about, don't you? Man, don't get all caught up in the doctrinal stuff. All we have to do is focus on the red letters. Just live the red letters. We, don't, we just have to live like Jesus taught us to live, and that makes us Christians. No, it doesn't. If all we had to do was live the teachings of Jesus, then Jesus never needed to be born because Jesus didn't teach us anything new. But Matthew says... This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus was really born. 
He lived a real life in the real world. He died a real death. He really did rise again from the dead. And he had to because we needed him to. The core of Christianity is not what Jesus taught us to do. The core of Christianity is what Jesus came to do for us. We had had centuries of teaching and teachers, who were, and we were never able to live the way we knew we were supposed to live. We'd never done what we knew what we were supposed to do. So why would God send Jesus simply to tell us more? That would be like a seventh grader failing multiplication tables, and you try to fix it by placing them in an advanced calculus class. C.S. Lewis said it this way, we've never followed the advice of great teachers Would we follow Jesus because he was the best moral teacher? That makes it even less likely that we should follow him. If Christianity only means one more bit of good advice, then it is of no importance. That is why when the angel came to Joseph and announced that he was about to have a son, he said, call him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. People will never be taught out of their sins. People have to be saved from their sins. We didn't need a teacher. We needed a savior. We needed a Messiah. We needed someone who would provide for the forgiveness of our sins and who would break the power that sin had over us so that we could live a holy life. Paul wrote it this way, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our sinful flesh, God did. How? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might finally fully be met in those of us who live according to the Spirit. Finally, because a real Savior came, finally we're going to be able to do what he told us to do. We needed a real savior who could really break the power of sin, who could really set us free, who could give us the power to be really loving, really forgiving, really generous, really holy people. In Christ, you can do this. You can't live the red letters until the one who spoke them them lives in you. And Jesus came to make it possible. He's a real savior. And he's a real savior for all of us. I love how Matthew says he's the son of Abraham. Remember what God's promise to Abraham was way back in Genesis chapter 12? In you and in your offspring, all peoples of the earth, all nations, all peoples of the earth will be blessed in your offspring. All people. Now, somewhere along the line, they forgot that. But God did not say just Jewish people, right? He said all people of all the earth will be blessed through you. And then you look at this lineup, verse 3 in his genealogy, you got Tamar, uh, who was not just a Gentile, but a Palestinian Gentile. And then in verse 5, you got Rahab, she was from Jericho. And then in verse 6, you got Uriah's wife. Well, you know what Uriah's name was? Uriah the Hittite. So here you got all of these non-Jewish people who are part of the Messianic line. Hey, folks, God was desegregating his people a long time before they knew it was happening. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. And by the way, if you're wondering, that's us. God, the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and so he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. 
Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. God would send a real Savior, and he would send a real Savior for all people. You start scrolling through Jesus' genealogy, and you will see that this is true. So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Do you realize how controversial that statement is? There is neither Jew nor Gentile in the gospel of faith. There is neither black nor white. There is neither Hispanic or Asian. There is neither Democrat or Republican. There is neither Baptist or Pentecostal. There is neither rich nor poor. There is neither male nor female. There is neither governor nor street sweeper. There is neither slave nor free. For you're all saved, and if you're all saved, you're all Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And folks, by the way, that didn't happen by an act of Congress. It happened by an act of God. If you're all waiting for the government to make it happen, well, just keep on waiting. People don't start loving one another because of legislation. They start loving one another because of salvation. Nobody goes to the back of the bus in the kingdom. We all get washed in the same fountain in the kingdom. We all need the same Savior in the kingdom, and we all got the same Savior in the kingdom. You're all seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. And not only is he a Savior, but Matthew's genealogy shows that Jesus is a king. He's the son of David. God said to David, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne. And now here is Jesus, the son of David. And when Jesus began to preach, when his public ministry got started, he preached this, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come. It is at hand. It's in your midst. It's among you. The king has come. The promise that he made to Abraham, the promise he made to David, all of it has come true. Every promise has been kept. Every prophecy has been fulfilled. I would so love to spend so much time on this, folks. But the main point is this. God is in control of human history. And when God promises something, it comes to pass. If we could just jump from Abraham to David to Jesus, those would be the high notes. And that's where Matthew starts. And we would all love for him to just stop there. Okay, we got it. We got it. Abraham, David, Jesus. That's the good parts of the story. But Matthew, after he gives us the highlights, goes all the way down. In fact, he reminds us there were 42 generations before the Messiah came. Between Abraham and David, there are 14 long generations. And from David to Jesus, there's 28 more. And oh, in between that, there was this whole exile thing that took place in Babylon. 42 generations. Don't y'all wish God would work faster sometime? 42 generations of people like Jacob who cheated his brother and hustled his father. People like Tamar, who seduced her father-in-law, had a baby by an incestuous relationship. People like Rahab, who made her living as a prostitute. People like David, who cheated with his best friend's wife and then had his friend murdered. 42 generations of corrupt kings and injustice and idol worship and tyranny and dishonesty. 42 generations of sex trafficking and slavery. Some of the most twisted and perverted stuff right there in the first 17 verses of the Christmas story in Matthew's gospel. And yet, in the midst of all of that mess, God comes down and gets involved and works in it and through it to bring our King and Savior into this world. I don't know, folks, if there was ever a Christmas 
where we need to hear this more than we do this year because it shows us God's still in control. And when God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. And sometimes you turn on the news and see all the junk, all the twisted and perverted stuff that's going on in this generation. No amount of human wickedness, no amount of government corruption, no number of paid off politicians can stop the plans of God from coming to pass. You can't impeach this king. God didn't need a perfect world to send his son. He sent his son to save and perfect the world. And I would imagine that some of you are like me. You look around and wonder if God is ever going to fulfill his promise. You you see unbelief growing and you see secularism taking over every quarter of our society and every institution. You watch the news and wonder if there is, God, is there one sane person left in the Senate or the legislation? Is there just one sane person? And from generation to generation, doesn't it seem to get worse? From generation to generation, it all seems to be going downhill. But do not forget this one thing, beloved. With the the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is just one day. And the Lord is not slow keeping his promises to us. Instead, he is patient with us because he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But mind this, the day of the Lord will come. And each in its turn, Christ the first fruits, and then he comes, and then those who belong to him, and then comes the end when he will hand over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion and all authority and all power, and then there will be a loud voice from heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. God is in charge of human history. And we may have to live through a lot of sin and selfishness in this generation we're in. We may have to endure one scandal after another for a lot of generations, but nothing can stop him from bringing his promises to pass. This first advent ought to have us lifting our eyes up looking for the second advent when he comes again. Before we finish, though, there's one other thing I want to tell you about this family tree. One other truth. Not only is God in control of all of human history, But God can save and use us no matter our personal history. No matter what's in our background, God can use us. This family tree, like I've said, is stunning when you understand how critical genealogy was to the Hebrew people. In Israel, your genealogy was your resume. Your genealogy determined what doors would open for you in society, what careers were available to you, Your genealogy determined whether anyone even bothered to listen to you when you opened your mouth. So there were a lot of folks who paid good money in Israel to have people trim their family tree, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, just trim it. Don't don't mention weird Uncle Chuck. Don't talk about my cousin who thinks he's a ninja. Please don't put that. Please don't put that in my genealogical table. But Matthew leaves all the fruits and nuts out there for everyone to see. Doesn't trim the tree a bit. In fact, he goes out of his way. In verse 6, I love this, where he says, And Jesse, the king of David, David, the father of Solomon. He could have left it there. But he almost goes out of his way to remind everyone, you do know that that was Uriah's wife, right? He goes out of his way to point it out, to remind everyone that David was an adulterer and a murderer that God used. He takes Israel's most popular king and reminds him of one of the most spectacular and scandalous failures in the history of the nation. He's working hard to say, look, 
I don't care how good they look on the outsider, how high they've climbed. Everybody's messed up and been messed up somewhere in their life. Everybody's had something. Everybody's got something hidden somewhere back in their closet they don't want you to know about. That makes me smile because I look around this room. And I realize if God can work through these folks, he can certainly work through us. Each of us has parts of our history we try to hide. Maybe some of you are even still trying to hide it from yourself. It isn't the sort of stuff you share, especially not in church. Some of us have had a generation where our marriage ended. Maybe you've been through a couple of marriages. You're in the third generation of marriage life. Some of you have had generations when you cheated on the person you promised to be faithful to. And some of you have spent your life hiding alcoholism and drug abuse and that happened in your homes. Some of you have hidden the fact that you were abused in your home or the abuse that was heaped upon you by someone you grew up with. Some of us would be mortified, mortified if it was ever revealed the ways that we compromised in our past, the things that we did, the places we slept and the people we slept with. What if that all came out in the open? What if it was right on the front page of your resume? And some of you, everybody already knows about you. Everybody already knows who your mama was and what your daddy did and what's on your police record. And a little old town like Lake Wales, that family tree means that there are some things you'll never be allowed to be a part of. There are some churches you can never go to and there are some clubs you'll never be allowed to join in a little old town like Lake Wales. But not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the king already knows all about your history. He knows about your sin. He knows about your scandal. He knows about the stuff you've done for God about. Some of you have done so many things wrong, you can't remember where you got started doing wrong. And God remembers all of it. And folks, the king doesn't work through any perfect people. There aren't any of those. He works through imperfect people because he's a perfect savior. And by the way, just as an aside, that's why all of us, who have been saved by grace ought to be rooting for people like Kanye. Now, I had to be told who Kanye was too, so for all you old people out there, I guess he was a foul-mouthed rapper. I guess Kanye was pretty wicked in his day. My, I listened to some of his music for about 10 seconds. After four F-bombs, you gotta turn him off. And Kanye just got saved. Did y'all know that? Kanye just became a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't know much about him myself. I stopped being cool a long time ago, about two decades ago. But folks, listen. Kanye says he's been saved. Kanye says he loves Jesus. And at the very least, we ought to want it to be true. At the very least, we ought to be rooting for him. We just didn't, you know what? We could have been just as bad as Kanye. We weren't as talented as he was. We didn't make as much money as Kanye did or we'd have had a good time, wouldn't we? Some of y'all had to settle for Kmart sin because you couldn't get to penthouse sin with Kanye. <laughs> but, but notorious sinners are secret sinners. We all needed a savior, didn't we? And it reminds me the way folks are treating that fellow, the way they treated the Apostle Paul. Did you all hear Paul from Damascus? He got saved. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. 
And Paul said, listen to what? Listen to what Paul wrote. Listen, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord that he considered me trustworthy. He did, even when the religious folks wouldn't buy into it. Now, I'm not a prophet, and I'm going to get off of this in just a second, but I'm praying that God uses Kanye to reach people the church will never touch. That God considered him trustworthy. I thank Christ that he considered me trustworthy even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a rapper that used the F word a lot. And a violent man. Here's what Paul says. He hears a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst. Who raised you and how you were raised? These are life-shaping issues, aren't they? My brother laughed at me. Jenny posted a picture. My brother laughed at me over the internet. and said, you're looking like dad more all the time. We're all, we all understand. We all understand the power of genetics and the power of experience. In fact, this is what psychologists argue about all the time. What's the most powerful influence, nature or nurture? Which is the most powerful? But no one denies that these two things are very powerful in who you are today, who you were born to and how you were raised In fact, there are some who will tell you you can never rise above how you were raised or your genetic makeup. You live in a world that tells you you were genetically predisposed or because of the way you were raised, you can only become a certain way. And we buy into that thinking. Even in the church, look, I was born this way. This is the way I was raised. This is how I was taught. This is why I was neglected. I was abused. And all of that is real. And the gospel doesn't dodge this stuff. It's right there in the pages of the New Testament. But what the gospel does is show us that the real God entered into this real world. He lived a real life of real abuse and real heartbreak and real failure and real denial and real betrayal. And he changed how things have been for generations so that you and I can start writing a different story. So the scripture says, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will ever inherit the kingdom of God. And I love this line. That's what some of you were. That's what you were. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That is the Christmas story. A real God came into a real world full of real sinners to bring real hope, real deliverance, real peace, real salvation. So so let me make a suggestion to you this year. You're going to be hanging around with folks Some of you are going to be hanging around folks you'd just soon not hang around with, but you're related to them. (laughs) And you're you're going to begin to buy into this thinking. So I just want to make this suggestion. This year, don't think you can fix your family or your heart by creating the perfect Christmas. Why not bring your family and your heart to the perfect Savior? He's the only one that can do it. friend of mine once said that any good Christmas sermon should leave you looking forward with anticipation for when Christ comes back to earth again. I think it's awesome to think about how God's promises are always going to come to pass, and there's nothing that can stand in the way of what God has set out to do. It's a very encouraging thought this Christmas season. And it's true a lot of times we skip over this section of the Bible that talks about Jesus' genealogy, but it's important to know that Jesus was 
a real person and a real savior that we all needed. I hope you enjoyed this week's sermon as much as I did. We'd love to connect with you some way. Uh, You can find us at High Point Church on Facebook or at High Point LW on Instagram. Uh, If you're looking to get in touch with me, you can also find me on Facebook. My name is Zach Hilligas, and uh, I'm also on Instagram at Zach the Poet. I hope you all have a blessed week, and I hope you'll tune in next time for the High Point of the Week. Mm